Amen. Turn to Revelation 22. We're not going to finish the chapter tonight, but uh, we'll make some headway here, starting in verse number 6. And um, we're going to see some, we're going to see five final exhortations in chapter 22. Exhortations from an angel, and that's what we look at tonight, and then exhortations from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so that's what we're going to, that's how we're going to finish the book of Revelation, the way the book finishes. And it's really kind of interesting because um, chapter 22, the section we're in now, we've just finished looking at the new heaven and the new earth. And now this is the conclusion of the book. And it, it ends in such a way that it that started. Some of the phraseology is even the same as, as in chapter 1. And then, of course, the exhortation that was given to each church of the seven churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3. We see five exhortations here. And so there was exhortations there. And so really the book, the book of Revelation is an interesting book in that it, it cycles amongst itself. And then it has massive amounts of Old Testament um, scriptures that are given. And we can look those scriptures up and we can see how they fit and how they're being used in a new covenant way uh, in the book of Revelation. In fact, we'll do some of that tonight. We'll be going to the book of Daniel for a little bit and, and taking a look at... Uh, passage is very, very similar to what we see here in Revelation. So that's where we're going. And um, it's gonna, this, this very first one can be a little confusing. I'll try to explain it uh, in a bit here. I'll explain that in a second. Revelation chapter 22, verse 6. And he said to me, and that's talking about the angel. Notice 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me. Okay. This angel has been guiding John through the book of Revelation. And we don't know if this is the same angel that he meets at the very beginning, in like in chapter 4, or if this is a different angel, which is the seventh, we know for sure this is the seventh angel of the seventh seal. So that, it tells us that earlier. So it's the angel talking here. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, he has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And um, verse 7, I believe, is the angel quoting the Lord Jesus Christ. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. And the reason I say that, you can see in verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Okay. So there's the exhortation there. So we'll just start out here um, at the conclusion of the book here. Uh, we see the first of the exhortations given here. And uh, it really lines up with a call to holiness uh, that uh, is told to us. Um, what it says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And uh, so that's the, the whole idea of holiness, the whole idea of doing what God says to do and obeying God. And then we go to verse 6. That's where we should go first. The words of this prophecy are true. That's what the angel said. And that's very familiar language from the Old Testament prophets. 
The Old Testament prophets often said things like this. The words are true. The words are trustworthy and true. Those kind of things. And um, that, uh, that are soon to come to pass. These are just words that, that flow out of the Old Testament text. And what we really should think about is the angel saying, these things in this book are not a myth. They're not fiction. They're not made up. It's not a dream even. It's not science fiction. It's factual, but it's given to us in symbolic language. That's the point. All of this is true, but it's symbolic language that we're talking about. And the Bible uses symbolic language a lot. I mean, baptism itself is symbolic language when you come right down to it. And so it's given to us in language that never goes out of date. Sometimes you, you get the, the scorpions with a sting in their tail, and the preachers will tell you, well, that's a, that's a black hop, a black, uh, black, uh, what are they, black hawk the helicopter that uh, has a, a rocket in it that can shoot people, you know. Well, <laughs> you know, that wouldn't mean anything to somebody living in the 5th century or the 17th century or even the beginning of the 20th century. That would be so obscure they couldn't possibly understand it. But the book of Revelation is written in language that could be understood by the first century believers and should be able to be understood by us. But um, it's a book that is difficult nonetheless. Although surprisingly, I'd say in the last 20 years especially, uh, there have been a host of books written on the book of Revelation. Uh, good books, solid books, reform books. In fact, I've got an entire shelf of my library collecting Revelation books. And I couldn't even begin to read them all before I preached uh, each message. It's just too many of them. Good 10 or 12 books there. So, you know, it's a blessing that we have that. Uh, 40, 50 years ago, pretty rare. You had William Hendrickson, More Than Conquerors, and that was about it, you know. But he blazed a trail that uh, many have followed afterwards, and it's been a great blessing. By the way, More Than Conquerors is still an excellent book, well worth reading. Okay. Well, the truth of Revelation is based upon the one who's altogether true. Look at 21 verse 5, just skip back for a minute. 21.5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for the words are trustworthy and true. So the one who's altogether trustworthy and true is the one who wrote the words that are trustworthy and true. Now, the idea of soon. We need to talk about soon here because um, of what it says. Uh, what, verse 6, I'm going to emphasize soon again. And he said to me, the words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And then verse 7, I am coming soon. Whoa. And then verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon. And that's the direct quote from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so let's talk about this word soon, because that has been a source of controversy. There have been a couple of wrong ways to go about it. Um, some have said, well, once these things start to take place, then his coming is soon. In fact, I saw that view um, this week in print. Uh, get a magazine, 
Uh, it's called Zion's Fire, and uh, they're an interesting group. They, they're like dispensationalists, but they're not dispensationalists. They believe in a, a mid-trib rapture. And so you go three and a half years into the tribulation, then the church is taken out, and then there's a little bit more time. Okay, and they, they, they're, very, they're very strong about that. And that is their explanation of soon. And so once these things start to take place, once the tribulation starts, then his coming is soon. Well, I don't believe that's correct. I don't believe that's correct at all. And so you have that view. Then you have the mockers that say, well, he said he was coming soon. Where's the promise of his coming? Like the fathers, the fathers have fallen asleep and all things are like they were. You know, nothing's changed. And then, of course, Peter refutes that silly argument by saying, you know, there was this big old flood that came and changed everything on the earth. Everything isn't the same as it was from the beginning. Things have changed. And he says things are going to change. And he says some other interesting things, too. He then goes on to say, um, you know, uh, well, I'll quote it. It says, uh, a, day, a day with the Lord, it says, a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. Now, that's got something to do with soon, if you think about it. So let's think about soon for a minute here, okay? And so what must take place soon? We know that once Revelation was written, it had value to the seven churches. And so this first soon that we see here, his servants, what must soon take place. In, Reve in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he's telling them what's going to happen. And they would expect that to happen in their lifetime. They'd expect that to happen soon. And it does. Okay, so that takes place with the seven churches that are spoken about. But then in verse 7 it says, Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. I am coming soon. And in verse 12 too. And he hadn't come yet. Okay. So, and I looked up the Greek word. It's the same Greek word. Take. And so you go, okay. Now, how do we explain that? Well, the first soon is easy enough to understand because it's soon as we often think about it. But um, the things talking about in the book of Revelation, well, they don't all happen simultaneously, and they all don't happen at the same time, and they all don't happen in the same place. When we're talking about the seven seals, for instance, and all these sorts of things, even when we looked at the seven churches, we saw that they had different circumstances, even though they were living in the same time frame, and even though they were living in the same area, their circumstances were different. And Revelation is a guide of spiritual warfare, of how to live our lives in the midst of great difficulties. Because let's face it, if we've seen anything in the book of Revelation, we've seen great difficulties. We've seen problems. We've seen difficulties. We've seen horrendous things happen. I mean, the most horrible thing that happens to us, to tell you the truth, is we go to the grocery store and pay twice as much as we used to. And that's not fun. That's not fun. But it's hardly horrible. <laughs> it's hardly horrible. And now we're seeing gas prices fall down. Who thought that was going to happen? Well, not me. I, if I was a prophet, I wouldn't have told you that gas prices were going to break below the $4 a mark uh, before the end of the year. But it uh, depends what kind of gas you buy. But yeah, it, they have. So there you go. 
Okay, but there are people that are suffering. And they're suffering big time. And they're suffering for being Christians. And you can get a, a magazine, The Voice of the Martyrs, that really gives you good ideas. Just like when um, uh, Fox wrote his book of martyrs. And it's a really tremendous read, Fox's Book of Martyrs, to show historically what was happening, mostly in, uh, beyond England, but in England and some other places too, uh, that had been history, and how people were dying for the cause of Christ. People are still dying for the cause of Christ. We're not. Thank the Lord for that. I mean, we're kind of blessed in our country doesn't mean it won't happen, but it hasn't happened at least. So we see this idea of soon and uh, what we think of as soon. Well, the, if you were to say, I'm going, you know, I'm going to the doctor in two weeks. Well, that's pretty soon, isn't it? That's pretty soon. You say, well, you know, I remember what happened two days ago, you know. Okay, that's soon. So we have this relative thing about soon that works that way. But, you know, if you're going to say 100 years from now, I don't think many of us would consider 100 years from now to be soon. That's past our lifetime. Uh, I'd, most of us will never live to be 100. Okay, some of you might, but uh, uh, you probably won't live to be 100. What about 1,000 years? If you lived uh, to be 100... You'd have to live 10 times as long to make it to 1,000. Okay, that hardly seems like soon. John Calvin, Martin Luther, uh, the, they were 500 years ago. Doesn't seem like soon, you know. And um, the Puritans, well, they, they seem like they're those, those old guys, man, from way back in when, 400 years ago. So, you know, so soon doesn't seem to fit, but it does when you think about the aspect of what I just said. With the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. I mean, God dwells outside of time, to tell you the truth. But time really doesn't have that kind of meaning uh, to God that it does to us because we're so finite and he's infinite. So just to help our weak minds, God talks to us in baby talk and basically says, 2,000 years, that's like two days to me. Well, really, you could have said it's like two seconds. But if you, if you take an illustration to a, a point like that, it starts to lose its point. So, yeah, 2,000 years, two days, makes sense. Soon, soon. Some have speculated, and I don't agree with this speculation, but because I don't think the Bible tells us when the Lord is coming at all. But I've read good men that speculate whatever soon means uh, because of the way that it talks uh, in the Old Testament, then probably what we are, can say by that is Christ's coming was a long way away. The Bible talks about it a long way. But in the New Testament, New Covenant age, he comes soon instead of a long time away which they then extrapolate and say, well, however long the Old Testament period was, uh, the New, Test New Covenant age will be shorter. I don't think that kind of logic works, but some good men will tell you that, some good amillennial men will tell you that. 
they'll use that as the as aspect of soon. It's going to come soon as compared uh, to the time of Adam and Eve and then the coming uh, or the promise of Messiah and the coming of Messiah. So there's a lot of different thoughts given about this. But I think the safest thing to say is that soon is a relative term uh, and a comparative term that we can talk about that way. And um, in chapter 1, verse 3, don't need to turn there, but 1, 3 in Revelation, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, and that's the same idea of keeping the words here in verse 7, for the time is near. So really what we see in the book of Revelation, when we talk about soon, talks about near, and these kind of thoughts, I think what we can see is here is the age that we live in, this new covenant age, and uh, we live in the last days. Last days are almost uh, not quite 2,000 years now, but we're living in the last days, okay, because there's no other days to come on this earth. You know, It's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and we won't keep you the time by days. And so uh, we can talk about the fact that here is history being encapsulated for us from uh, the time of Christ until the time of his coming that way. And it's soon. And in the grand scheme of eternity, it's absolutely soon. Absolutely soon. How can you compare um, 2,000 years, 3,000 years, 10,000 years, whatever it happens to be, how can you compare that with eternity. So the time is near, and it was happening in the first century, and it's still happening today. That's a, I, the way I believe we have to interpret Revelation. I'm, I'm reading Revelation in my private devotions uh, this, this week, and just profiting from it greatly, from the things that we've talked about during this study, which I'll be honest with you, is, is a difficult study, and I don't consider myself an expert, and I don't believe I figured it all out, you know. But I think we can see the big picture and understand what's happening. Okay, so in the human realm, soon's a relative term. You have a doctor's appointment in two days, it's coming up soon. You have a vacation in two weeks, it's coming up soon. One day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, soon. Okay. So, hard to understand, hard to comprehend course. Now, as we say that, you know, the second exhortation, like I said, I'm coming soon, and that, why does he say that? For spiritual warfare purposes, so that we will keep our armor on and gird it around our waist and, and ready to do what we need to do for the glory of God. This is all the things that we have to do in this pilgrim pathway, you know. Exhortation number two comes in verses 8 through 11. So let's look there. It says, I, John, the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. And then the rest of it are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe. 
Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, taken, of course, from chapter 1 that we've already seen. But we'll deal with that next time, Lord willing. So the exhortation in verses 8 to 11 uh, we, we saw the angel finish his exhortation. And he said, Do not seal up the words of this prophecy, for the time is near. And so we realize that uh, the book of Revelation is relevant to them then and relevant to us now. Now, John falls down to worship the angel. And in chapter 1, we see him fall down to worship. But he falls down in chapter 1 to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord accepts the worship and takes the worship and commends John for the worship, even though he tells him to get up because he has many things to, to tell him. But here he falls down at an angel, which is absolutely unacceptable. You know. So because he was an angel, he refused the worship because it's a sin to worship anyone except God. It's also understandable, though, as human beings, that when we're overcome by a situation like that, and I don't think any of you have ever personally met or talked with an angel, but uh, I think we'd be tempted to fall down if we did, you know. And um, so it's understandable he would do that, but it also was important that he not do that. Worship God. So we, we see in the Bible this happening. Cornelius... An angel did come to Cornelius in a vision, so Cornelius didn't fall down. But when the vision was fulfilled and Peter came to him, we find Cornelius falling down before Peter. You know, and Peter is the first pope says, "Kiss my ring." And uh, no, he didn't. Didn't say that. Okay, Peter says, "Get on your feet. I'm a man like you are." You know, and tells him to worship God. Preaches the gospel to him and uh, to those in his house. Another example is Paul and Silas in Lystra. As Paul and Silas are in Lystra, um, you know, Paul was elo eloquent speaking, and, and Silas evidently was too, and the people were so impressed with them that they wanted to sacrifice to them and worship them. And so they did everything they could to restrain them from doing that. No, no, we're just men like you are. Don't worship us. But people can turn on a dime. Next thing we know, within a few days, they aren't worshiping Paul and Silas. They took Paul outside the city and stoned him and left him for dead. You know, so that's kind of a switch. It's in the book of Acts, you know. And it um, shows how fickle men can be. One moment they're trying to worship Paul and Silas, and a short time later, they're stoning Paul and leaving him for dead. And it's very, very possible that the vision that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, uh, we don't know if he really died or he was just knocked unconscious, but he talks about being taken up to the third heaven, you know, during that period of time. But anyway... Miraculously, whatever it was, either death and resurrection or unconscious and waking up, um, he got up and walked out of the city. <laughs> walked, walked away from the situation. God's mercy. 
Do not seal up the prophecy of this book. That's what we're talking about now. That's the opposite of what God told Daniel in chapter 12. Keep your finger here. Let's turn over to Daniel chapter 12 because it is a companion passage in many ways uh, with what we see. We're going to have some more um, sermons on prophecy, just uh, not through a book per se, but we're going to spend some time in Ezekiel, a little bit of time in Daniel, and uh, see some of the things that we've seen in the book of Revelation. Now we understand the imagery a little bit better, uh, so we can understand Daniel and Ezekiel a little bit better. Okay. And so we turn to Daniel chapter 12, and look what it says in verse 2. This would be something that we should easily understand and may have been a little difficult at the time of Daniel to understand. Daniel 12, 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Okay. Just the opposite now is said. Now, here's the resurrection. This is obviously the last day. It's obviously the resurrection that's being spoken about, and, and using very similar language that we see in Revelation for that. And so here is something that was probably rather mysterious uh, to the people as they read Daniel. But they were told to seal up the prophecy of the book. Now is not the time yet. Why is now not the time yet? Well, the resurrection is not going to happen until after Messiah comes. But Messiah doesn't just come. He comes and dies and is resurrected himself. And then the new covenant age is brought in. So really what we're talking about here is something that is way future, you know, Something really huge and big has to happen before this will be fulfilled. So seal up the prophecy of the book. But the angel says to John, do not seal the prophecy of this book. Why? Because the time is near. We've, got, we've done what needed to be done to get to this new covenant point. And so now all that remains is for the things in Revelation to take place and to go forward, and those things to happen, and then the Lord Jesus Christ to return, and the eternal state to begin after the final judgment. So really, prophecy, is, if we're going to make a big calendar on prophecy and all the things that are going to happen, it really should be quite simple. You know, there's prophecy charts that would uh, fill up this whole back wall here and then extend out to there. You know, all these things that are supposed to happen, and just... It isn't the way the Bible talks, you know. The Bible talks about cycles, cycles of this life that we're in, and then the end points. The end points being the coming of Messiah. We're gonna, in, in two weeks, we're going to have our annual Christmas reading, and most of it points to the coming of Messiah. But then we go into the life of Messiah, too, as we read and sing. That's the crucial point of history, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the next crucial point of history is going to be the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's going to end everything that we know it today. So we're in the last days because there's no other days coming. These are important points of prophecy. Now, you know, the final judgment, right here in the book of Daniel, some people say the Jews didn't believe in life after death and everything like that. Absolutely false. Absolutely false. It's true that some Jews didn't believe in life after death. It's true that some Jews still don't believe in life after death. Uh, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees did. You know, so there's a group right there in contemporary with Christ that believed in the resurrection. Okay, so seal it up, Daniel. Now we know why. You know, something had to happen. Christ needed to come to earth. So it's very confusing sometimes in the Old Testament. Sometimes you're reading about his first coming, and sometimes you're reading about the end, you know, the end of days, so to speak, you know. And the Old Testament talks about both. And the Old Testament does not make it plain that there are two comings of Messiah until we come to the New Testament, where then we can see it and it's explained for us, you know. So Daniel, this, you're writing about the end of the age, seal it up. John, you were writing about the first coming and you're writing about the second coming and the end of the age. Do not seal it up for the end is near. Okay. So that's what we're talking about there. And something from Daniel 12 helps us to understand verse 11. If you're still in Daniel 12, take a look at Daniel 12, verse 11. Uh, Start in verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. So I said 11, but it was actually verse 10 I was looking at. So the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Okay. Now, back to Revelation. What does Revelation 12, 11 say? Something that might surprise you. It says, um, says, let the evildoers still do evil and be filthy and still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. I think there's a truth here that needs to be heeded. And it's a, a very important truth, you know. God isn't condoning wickedness. And he's not telling wicked people to be as wicked as they want to be. That's not the point. But the point is, take it on an individual basis now. Okay, think about the trajectory of a life. Okay, the trajectory of a life. If you start doing evil, what's going to happen? You're going to do more evil and more evil and more evil. And what's going to stop you? Well, people do make moral reforms. Sometimes they just plain grow up and realize that uh, the things that they're doing are stupid. And they're just ruining their lives. And they turn their life around. That happens to some. Some just keep on doing the destructive things and end up destroying themselves. And their lives are cut off of what we would consider cut short. But really, no one's life is ever cut short because the day of our birth, the day of our death, they're all ordained by God. So we really can't really say that our life was cut short, but we can talk that way. 
because sin leads to death. So we can use that as a warning. But a trajectory of life, if you're wicked, you're just going to keep on doing wickedness and keep on being filthy and get more filthy and die eventually. Trajectory goes that way. But when God comes into a life, he comes in and changes that life. And there's a new life that begins. The very thing that baptism pictures, a new life. Yeah. So the trajectory has been broken, and we now are on the path of holiness. So Daniel put it one way, you know, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. And uh, Revelation talked about the saints being robed in white. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And those that are wise, of course, are the ones that heed God and listen to God. You know. So there's the truth there. There's the, the Lord has salvation for all who come to Christ by faith. How do we know we've come to Christ by faith? Well, our hearts have been changed. So our life has to be changed. Okay? If our life isn't changed at all and we're the same as we were, acting wickedly and, and filthy, where's the life? Where's the new life? You know? But those of you that are here, I think you know what I'm talking about. Those of you that are Christians, your life did change, didn't it? It was different. You're not what you want to be, I know. I'm not what I want to be. We're not perfect yet. Uh, just like we said, Barry, yesterday, you know, again, and you mentioned it, you know, be perfect, God says, be perfect. But I can't be perfect. Well, but that's the goal. The goal isn't, well, you know, be perfect means try harder. It doesn't mean try harder. Be perfect doesn't mean, you know, you're sinning ten times a day, start sinning five times a day. <laughs> that's not being perfect not even one time a day that's not being perfect either okay that's ridiculous when the Bible says be perfect when God says be holy for I am holy he means be holy do the things that are right and when we don't we need to repent and we need to go back to him again and we need to use the means of grace so the trajectory of our life will be forward even though we sometimes will be taking steps that are backwards and sometimes we take a lot of backward steps. We can, we can go down pretty far, you know. But the trajectory will be forward, ultimately, for a true Christian. You know, or we just have to say, never knew the Lord at all. And we've seen people in that path, too. So the trajectory, if you don't know what that means, trajectory means path, the way that you're going. You know, which way are you going? Which way are you heading? The Christian is heading for glory, heading for life eternal. Already have life eternal, but we're walking in that life eternal to the eternal life that will never end and will never end in death. Okay. In heaven, we'll be purified, glorified. Uh, we'll still be on the path of holiness, but there will be no sin. We will not be sinning any longer. So now these are what we're talking about. You know, be perfect. It's not a command, you know. It's a command to do what is right. It's not a command just to sin a little less. Yeah. So with all that being said, and then I'll just conclude here.
you know. I didn't want to start the, the last section because I'd rather keep it in a block. I'll just apply it. Today, the nice day that we're walking, do we wander from the path? And we do. But John Bunyan understood that and put it again in language that we can understand as he wrote his book, Pilgrim's Progress. And it would have been very sad if Pilgrim, whose name is changed to Christian, be very sad if Christian was perfect and never sinned again, because then he wouldn't be a role model for us. You know, he'd just be like the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who never sinned. But Christian in the book isn't the Lord Jesus Christ. He's one of us. And so he has his problems, he has his troubles, he has his trials, he has his doubts, he has his struggles. He goes through the valley of the shadow of death, almost loses his mind uh, because of the things that are happening until he comes to realize those thoughts circling in his head are not circling in his head at all, they're circling around his head. And there's a big difference between what's in there and what's around it. Martin Luther put it this way. Martin Luther said, I can't keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from building a nest in my hair. Well, I don't have any hair, but I think it's still. Yeah, I, can under, I can relate, <laughs> nonetheless. Okay, so that's another way of putting it. But the way that uh, it's put in Pilgrim's Progress, which is a tremendous book that ought to be read by every Christian, I just, without hesitation, say that. And it can be hard to understand, but if you really want to go at it, on, our, um, on Sermon Audio, we have 72 messages on Pilgrim's Progress. So if you wanted to use that for devotions, and people have, I've got a number of, um, from all over, all over the place, that people have said, you know, we've, we've done Pilgrim's Progress, we use the tape, so we use the, uh, the CDs, not the CDs, but we use the internet thing, and, um, you know, and use them for family devotions. Because you can do that with Pilgrim's Progress. It's a great book. It, it's like the book of Revelation. He just, Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse, over and over and over and over again. Just, and then a, a, a trajectory that's going forward. You know, that's why it's so good. The wicked continue on their path of wickedness until they reach their end. Rebels against Christ. So next week, we'll move from the proclamations of the angel to the proclamations of Christ, starting in verse number 12. Okay. So, Pastor Mike, you can do communion tonight? Very good.